0: Hi, I'm Drew Beebe, the host of a new podcast from CNN called Great Big Story. It's a show about the curious side of the human experience. And I know that sounds like a lofty idea, but hear me out. Over the course of this show, we'll talk to some of the most interesting people you've ever met, from brilliant code breakers to a couple building their own artificial island. If you're itching for a good story and you're curious like I am, well, I think you might like this show. Give us a listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
1: Good evening. It's now all but certain President Donald J. Trump will be impeached. And whatever you think of him, his conduct or the allegations against him, what House Speaker Nancy Pelosi set in motion this morning, likely sealed this day in history. Sadly,
2: but with confidence and humility, with allegiance to our founders and a heart full of love for America. Today, I am asking our chairman to proceed with articles of impeachment.
1: And with that, President Trump is now facing what only three other presidents have, House lawmakers drawing up formal indictments against him, Andrew Johnson. Bill Clinton were ultimately impeached. Richard Nixon resigned instead. And then, just as now, the process was divisive. It stirred up passions and partisanship and gave rise to allegations such as this one earlier today.
3: I hate the president, Speaker? I, I out, you don't hate
2: anybody. I don't don't hate anybody.
4: Not anybody in the world. So don't you accuse me I did anybody. not accuse you. You. Did, you did. I asked a question. Did. And, and Representative Collins yesterday suggested that the Democrats are doing this simply because they don't like the guy. I have nothing to do with it. Let me just say this. I, deport I
2: deport. think the president is a coward when it comes to helping uh, our, our kids who are afraid of gun violence. I think he is cruel when he doesn't deal with the, the, helping our dreamers of which we're very proud. I think he's in denial about the, constitu- about the uh, climate crisis. However, that's about the election. This is about the elect. Take it up in the election. This is about the Constitution of the United States and the facts that lead to the president's violation of his oath of office. And as a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is full, a heart full of love and always prayed for the president. And I still pray for the president. I pray for the president all the time. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that.
1: Was well, a remarkable moment. and At the top of the next hour, Speaker Pelosi will join Jake Tapper for a CNN live town hall. First, though, the president's reaction, quoting now from his tweet, quote, Nancy Pelosi just had a nervous fit. She hates that we will soon have 182 great new judges and so much more stock market and employment records. She says she prays for the president. I don't believe her. Not even close. The president also likes using what might be charitably described as mental health imagery and describing House Democrats, as he did in this tweet shortly before Speaker Pelosi's announcement, quote, they have no impeachment case and are demeaning our country, but nothing matters to them. They've gone crazy. Therefore, I say, if you're going to impeach me, do it now fast so we can have a fair trial in the Senate and so that our country can get back to business. Do it now fast, the president says, but keeping them honest for weeks now, including at the judiciary hearings yesterday, Republicans have been saying the opposite about the need for speed.
4: They're rushed on this because they're trying to get it out because they don't want to appear to be trying to interfere in a 2020 presidential election.
5: There was no objectivity or fairness in the media's Russia stories, just as a fevered rush to tarnish and remove a president. I'm certainly hoping
3: that the House will be able to multitask um, in their rush to impeach the president.
4: The issue that we have to deal with going forward is, why the rush?
1: Well, law professor Jonathan Turley, who you saw there on the right of the screen, yesterday's Republican witness, also criticized the speed of things, warning against what he called an impulse buy. We'll talk to one of his Democratic counterparts about that, Harvard Law Professor Noah Feldman. He joins us shortly. Also tonight, new reporting on the president's TV lawyer and alleged bagman Rudy Giuliani, who may be providing a key incentive for Democrats to move quickly, because even as this is playing out, Giuliani is in Ukraine, apparently engaging in some of the very conduct that's landed the president in trouble. And we'll bring you the latest on all of that tonight. But first, I want to go quickly to CNN's Boris Sanchez at the White House. So what are you learning about how the administration's uh, what is their latest preparations for impeachment?
6: Yeah, Anderson, the White House is looking to mount a robust defense of the president. Uh, Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel, has hired dozens of attorneys and he's been preparing for this potential Senate trial for months, even looking at past impeachment trials to try to gain some perspective on how to craft a a response to the allegations that President Trump abused his power in his dealings with Ukraine. Uh, Notably, the White House has also told us through sources that they plan to use this as an opportunity to bash Democrats. You saw there in that tweet by President Trump uh, that he suggested that uh, Republicans may try to compel prominent Democrats to testify, including House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, and even Joe and Hunter Biden, Of course, the president doesn't ultimately determine uh, who testifies in this uh, Senate trial. And that's part of the reason that Pat Cipollone, members of his staff, members of the White House communications team have been sitting down with Republican senators more and more often for weeks trying to not only craft messaging and a potential strategy, but also to try to avoid any potential landmines. Anderson, is it clear how the president is handling this behind closed doors? Yeah, well, for weeks we've been hearing that the president has sort of been in denial about all of this, that he did not actually believe that Democrats in the House would vote to impeach him. We're actually told that he's come to terms with that reality, in part because he was watching testimony yesterday as he was returning from a NATO leaders meeting in London. Uh, The president was asked today if he believed that being impeached would tarnish his legacy. He said he did not. Because it's all a hoax, Anderson.
1: All right, Boris Sanchez uh, the White House. Boris, thank you. The question now, what's next? For that, we're joined now by Democratic Congresswoman and Judiciary Committee Vice Chair Mary Gay Scanlon. Congresswoman, uh, thanks for being with us. Speaker Pelosi is obviously you. trying to frame this in, in somber terms. It's not something that Congress does lightly or with partisan intent, she's tr- saying. It is extraordinarily partisan, however. Everyone's dug in. Do you have any reason to believe that will change as you move ahead with articles of impeachment? Is there any sign of that?
7: Well, I think as with the speaker, we're hopeful that people will do their constitutional duty. It's not personal. It's not political. It's about the Constitution. I think we laid out really clearly yesterday with the witnesses talking about why we have an impeachment clause, why um, the founders thought there were certain things that constituted impeachable conduct. And they were the very things we're talking about here. It's foreign interference in our government. It's corrupt elections. It's corruption by our executive. Um, This Ukraine incident and and the cover up involved really involves all of those things.
1: I mean, it certainly is political. I mean, it has political ramifications. It's hard to see it. It certainly has to do with the Constitution. But I mean, is it really fair to say it's not political?
7: The only folks who are talking about this being about an election are our Republican counterparts. They keep saying, oh, this is about undoing an election. Um. Impeachment is not about in undoing an election. Elections are for, as the speaker suggested earlier today, Therefore, when you disagree with someone's morals or you disagree with their qualifications or you disagree with their policies. This isn't about any of that. This is about the fact that the current president appears to be undermining our constitution through corruption.
1: I know the Judiciary Committee is going to have a hearing on Monday during which you're going to hear from the Intelligence Committee majority and minority councils. There's a lot of expectation a full House vote could be held before Christmas Um, What do you think of the timeline and also the argument that, you know, there's nothing in the Constitution about how long this could take or or, or should take?
7: Right. Well, I think we're just trying to work through it as expeditiously as we can. The report that was put out by the Intel Committee this week um, has a lot of urgency to it. I mean, we saw with the Mueller report, we saw that the president had welcomed and used interference by Russia in the 2016 election. And then when he was caught out uh, tried to cover it up and obstruct that investigation. Now we have the situation with the Ukraine. We're looking ahead to the 2020 election. He's soliciting interference from another country. And when he got caught out, he's tried to obstruct that investigation. So we really do have a lot of urgency to move quickly because we have another election at stake.
1: Do you have any reservations, though, about moving forward, actually charging the president of the United States in what is akin to an indictment without having heard from people like John Bolton, and Mick Mulvaney? Obviously, you wanted to. Uh, The White House isn't cooperating, but, you know, Democrats could wait out the court fight and possibly compel them to testify.
7: Well, I think we have to deal with, you know, we have to play the hand we've been dealt. Okay, so back in um, May, we asked Don McGahn to come in. He's um, the president's former White House counsel who allegedly was told by the president to cover up um, the fact that the president ordered the special counsel to be fired. We just got a ruling two, three weeks ago that um, the president wrongly obstructed him from coming before Congress, but now the president has appealed that ruling so we could be weeks and weeks and months and months further along in this process before we get to hear from those witnesses. So, you know, if the president wants to tell his tale, if there is a tale, a vindicating tale to be told, he has every opportunity to do it. But he has chosen not to. And it's beginning to look like that's because there is no factual defense. That's why we have all this finger pointing.
1: And are you confident that when there is a full House vote, there's already one Democratic congressman from New Jersey who says he's going to vote against the articles of impeachment. Do you think you would lose any more members?
7: I think the bigger question is going to be how many Republicans they lose.
1: Do you think they will lose any?
7: I think they should. I mean, they already lost one, but they threw him out of the party.
1: Congresswoman Scanlon, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Perspective now on the law and politics from former Republican presidential candidate and U.S. Senator Rick Santorum. These days, he's also a senior CNN uh, political commentator, also with a CNN political commentator and former Obama White House communications director Jen Psaki and CNN chief legal analyst Jeffrey uh, Toobin. Uh, I mean, it, it, regardless of what happens down the road in the Senate, this is a very significant day.
8: It, it's a huge day. And, you know, I thought uh, Speaker Pelosi uh, meant to emphasize that. I mean, she talked about the Constitution like Hillary Clinton on big day. She wore white, which is the color of the suffragettes, which is a day, you know, which which I think underlined sort of the momentousness of what's going on here. And, um, you know, this has only happened a very small handful of times in American history. And Nancy Pelosi didn't want to do this. I mean, she really did not want impeachment to be uh, on her watch this term. I mean, I heard it from her. Many people heard it from her. She was not going to allow this to take place just on the basis of the Mueller report. But I think she felt not politically, but constitutionally obligated to do this once the uh, Ukraine story
1: broke. Jen, do you think she made the right move doing this?
9: I do, and I think I agree completely with Jeffrey here. You know, she did not—you saw this tone from her today. You know, she's sad, she's somber. Um, She was clearly passionate and emotional at times, as we saw in that clip— But she felt that the president's hand forced her hand. The president's action forced her hand. And certainly when the moderate Democrats, the national security Democrats came out and wrote that op-ed, that was sort of there was no turning back at this point. I think what we'll see, though, from her is she's going to continue to make the case in a non-political way that this is not about overturning an election. Yes, there are people who've wanted Trump out from the beginning, but this is about protecting the United States of America for the next election, really pushing hard on making the case that this president has shown himself to be somebody who, who will not only accept, but he will seek information from a foreign power to win. So I would expect that's where she'll keep it As she if she maintains it with that tone and keeps her members maintaining it at that tone. I, I think that this is the right choice, the right decision.
1: Senator Santorum, it, do you believe that this is uh, Nancy Pelosi when she says, you know, this isn't political, it's about the Constitution?
3: Well, no, I don't believe that. I, I, look, I, I do believe, because I was there during the, the Clinton impeachment, that people take this, if you're trying to impeach a president or vote to impeach a president uh, in the House or even more so in the Senate, you take that very, very seriously. And I don't doubt that people are taking this seriously, but I don't think it's credible. It wasn't credible for me. It wasn't credible for anybody through this process to say it's not political. I mean, you come with a political perspective on how you view this president and it's weighted heavily by by, by policies as well as politics. So to say it's not political is just, frankly, not credible. I, I agree with I don't think Nancy Pelosi wanted to do this. But what I do know about leaders in Washington, by and large, is they're not leaders. They're followers of what their caucus wants to do. Mm. And when, when her caucus flipped, she did. I don't think her, I mean, I don't know Nancy that well. I mean, I know her, but I don't know her that well. And maybe if I had, we had a private conversation, say, you know, I still don't want to do this. But I had no choice. And I think that's where she is. If she's wise, that's where she is. But she doesn't she doesn't control her caucus. Her caucus controls her. But, and but, that's but, the way it works. But
8: but, you know, yes, politics infuses everything. In the caucus. Of course There's does. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But but
3: the, the and I agree. There the is caucus,
2: nothing wrong with
8: that. But the caucus is moving because the facts push them. And,
2: and they change. I, I would
3: I, I would I would just say it's another domino that that. And again, I I don't think the proof is there. I don't think it's as substantial as everybody suggests. I think what the president did was inappropriate. I don't think it's anywhere close to impeachable. But if you have that predilection of believing every possible uh, bad inference against the president, you can get to that conclusion. And that's where they are. I
9: think, though, for, for Speaker Pelosi and for a lot of Democrats, the question was and still is, should any president, Democrat or Republican, be able to seek uh, dirt on a political opponent? Should that be something a president allowed to do? Manu Raju asked this question today of Kevin McCarthy. He didn't answer the question. And that's a difficult one for Republicans. Really I, I
3: think it is a difficult one. As I said before, I thought it was inappropriate for him to bring up the Biden name. I don't think it was inappropriate to ask for a, for an investigation of Burisma, but I think it was inappropriate to bring up the Biden's name. And, and there are lots of things short of impeachment. Uh, that deal with inappropriate behavior.
1: When, when the uh, when, you know the president tweeted about the Senate trial today and then talked about we're going to have a shift, the Bidens, Pelosi, and many more testify, is that actually going to happen?
8: You have to ask Mitch McConnell. I mean, Mitch McConnell is going to run this process. Uh, again,
1: it's, he's going to follow his,
8: his Senator caucus. Senator, you seem
1: to think it, it is? Look, I, it, it, how, how does that actually here's, work?
3: Here's, here's what happens. I mean, I, I, again, I was very, very engaged in this. Senators are going to look at this Everyone thinks, oh, they're going to respond to what the president wants. They're going to look at this as what they, number one, and I really do believe this, what they think is right, not just for them politically and them, but for the country, but also for the Senate. Uh, There is a there is a real responsibility on on all three fronts. And I think what you're going to see is, uh, as we saw back in the Clinton impeachment, It's not as clear cut on either side. What what is the right right approach? And I don't I don't know. It's a different Senate when I was there, but there was a great desire to find compromise. But but just just the logistics logistics of it.
1: I mean, they can. Mitch McConnell can can call who he wants.
8: They can have no witnesses. They can have some witnesses. They can have depositions. What they did in the Clinton trial was they didn't have witnesses in the Senate. But they, they had uh, essentially depositions with a handful of senators off cam- off uh, the 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 White House campus, mm-hmm. uh, off the Capitol campus. And, you know, that's possible. But the thing that you never hear Republicans say is we want an inquiry into the facts of what happened with Ukraine. They want to talk about Joe Biden. They want to talk about Adam Schiff. They never want to answer the question
1: that Manu Raju asked today is, is it appropriate what the president did? All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, Some late word on Rudy Giuliani, his White House phone calls and his Ukraine travels when we come back. Plus, Joe Biden's campaign trail confrontation over his son in Ukraine when we continue. Take a look.
10: You said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Didn't that what you said? Get your word straight, Jack.
1: Got a quick piece of breaking news on calls Rudy Giuliani made to the White House that first came to light in the House Intelligence Committee's impeachment report. CNN has learned that some of them said to have been associated with the Office of Management and Budget may have simply been calls to and from the White House and not specifically the OMB. The calls in April of 2019 were well before any known action by the White House to hold Ukrainian military aid, raising questions as to whether there were discussions earlier than previously known. As for what Mayor Giuliani is up to right uh, this moment, that is a separate question. It's one of the reasons the Democrats today cited for moving impeachment proceedings forward so quickly. He's been in Ukraine and he's taking, they say, more problematic action on the president's behalf, reportedly reportedly. Talking to some of the same familiar characters, and again threatening Ukraine. Quoting now uh, from his Twitter feed: "Quote the conversation about corruption in Ukraine was based on compelling evidence of criminal conduct by then Vice President Biden in 2016. That has not been resolved, and until it is, will be a major obstacle to the U.S. assisting Ukraine with its anti-corruption reforms." The words bear repeating: "Has not been resolved, and will be a major obstacle." Back with Rick Santorum, Jen Psaki and Jeff Tubin mm-hmm. Is it what kind of investigation? What is Rudy Giuliani doing in Ukraine?
8: Anderson, you ask hard questions. I mean, it beats the hell out of me. I mean, I think he is reinforcing the view that the president is trying to intimidate people in, in Ukraine to do his political bidding. Rudy Giuliani is not some honest broker. He is not some corruption investigator. He is someone trying to get Donald Trump reelected president. And that's what's going on there. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know that how closely people follow these things, but this seems much more likely to backfire than
1: to actually help in
8: any way, especially since he's involved it, it, with all these friends. It's it certainly figures.
1: counterintuitive, Jen, just from, from a if you're thinking of, you know, the president's side, you wouldn't think, oh, yeah, let's have Rudy go back to Ukraine.
9: Right. It's sort of a big middle finger to the people who are investigating this and looking at this whole situation. And it's putting him in a bigger spotlight. That's why it's such a Head scratcher here. I mean, I think his entire tweet doesn't make any sense at all. As as we know and have been discussing, obviously Ukraine uh, has gone through a period of years of corruption. They've made some reforms, there's more work to be done. There's no evidence Rudy Giuliani or Donald Trump cares about that. That's certainly not what he's working on. What we're all talking about and have been for weeks is the most corrupt thing probably that there that anyone's been trying to get Ukraine involved in. So it's all a little ludicrous, but it's crazy to see that he's in Ukraine. I don't know why he's there.
3: I, I well I give you a Posit what I think is the rational explanation for this, whether it's true or not, I don't know. Money? But I, no, I think Rudy feels like he's been, his reputation has been besmirched. I think he feels like that you know, he is, uh, he's been. Um, basically ridiculed by the media as being someone who's sort of this crazy guy working off and I think he wants to go and vindicate himself. I think he wants to go and gather gather more more evidence and basically prove out that he's right and you're wrong. Mm. And 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 that makes sense to me. I mean I Rudy's Rudy is a man of great pride and 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 and, and great stature, and America's mayor. And now he's sort of being kicked around, kicked to the curb, and he's going to fight back. So and, I think that's what's going on. And
8: here. the way to do and the, the, the problem is he doesn't know what he's talking about, and he's well, dealing. With he thinks people, he does, but he he's thinks dealing he's, he... with people who have the worst reputations. Mm-hmm. He's on a television network. That thinks Fox News is some leftist outlet. Yeah. I
3: mean, this is the way he's restoring his.
8: Uh, Someone's him bad advice. I, I mean, I'm not I, saying you're wrong right I believe I that's he what do,
3: he's. But... I think he's trying to gather the evidence to prove his case.
10: Hmm.
1: Isn't that like OJ trying to gather the evidence? I mean, you well, know, it's like, say, does, right. is that Again, really. I,
3: I think that's being a little unfair.
2: I feel like a little? My, whole,
1: my whole life is coming together <laughs> yeah. here. For all this, this stories are coming together. This is, like, is right. your life. But I mean, I. Just, it, 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 you know, it's like when Donald Trump said as a citizen that he had sent detectives to Hawaii to investigate, you know, the birth certificate of, of President Obama. There, the, he, he, there was no there's never been any evidence he actually did send detectives. There's not an investigation. And the U.S. embassy, there's plenty of arms of the U.S. government that can investigate corruption in Ukraine uh, and
3: and let's go back to the idea that many uh, on the on the right believe there is a deep state, and there are these people, in, and particularly in the State Department, who uh, have different agendas and are are uh, and and they believe that. Right, but wrong. there's the
1: Treasury Department, which you know. I, again, you know, I mean, there's,
3: I, I hear you, right. I, but I'm just saying there's a there's a general mistrust of of of, sure. of the state, if you had the deep state, and and Rudy believes that that his scenario that he's laid out is the right one, and he's he also could to just, just be
1: drumming a business. I mean, he also.
3: Uh, he, he, uh, also, does have he, extent, also be- he does have a
1: history of business seeking that. out businesses in Ukraine. I mean, he tried to get a contract for security things in uh- in in uh, in the capital and that's all didn't over work Eastern out. Europe right, and yeah. all
9: sorts of places. I mean look I think first of all the reference to the deep state. What we saw a few weeks ago is that the deep state he's been referring to are decades long public servants who have been trying to do the national work on the national
3: well, interest of Look I'll fight you on that one because I do believe just because a bunch of smart people are over at the State Department doing what they think is the best thing for the country isn't maybe what the president Wants to do. And by the way, he's the one that runs foreign policy, not them. Well, the, but and the so president there is wants a bit of a, a rubble And they
9: want to help Ukraine address their corruption.
3: I understand. In this particular case, there might be some, there, there's some cross currents here. But the idea that we are going to defer to. A group of State Department people who, because they've been there a long time and they're really smart, are going to do the right thing for America. Sorry, that's not their job. Their job is to do what the
9: president tells them. That's exactly to do. what their job is. No, right. it
1: isn't. Senator Santorum, uh, Jens Hockey, Jeff Dubin, thank you. Uh, up next, I'm going to talk to a former World Chess Champion, anti-Putin activist Gary uh, Kasparov, who's just penned an op-ed titled "I lived in the post-truth Soviet world, and I hear its echoes in Trump's America." We'll be right back. Gary Kasparov is perhaps best known for becoming, at age 22 in 1985, the youngest world chess champion ever. He saw some of the darkest sides of the old Soviet Union and spoke out about them, which led to his exile in the United States. Today, there's an op-ed he wrote on CNN.com. It's fascinating. It's titled, I lived in the post-truth Soviet world, and I hear its echoes in Trump's America. Kasparov writes, and I quote, President Donald Trump and his Republican defenders in Congress have followed his lead in declaring war on observed reality. He adds, unable to change the facts, Trump and his supporters instead try to shift the debate into an alternate alternate universe where the truth is whatever they say it is today. Gary Kasparov joins me now. He's the author of Winter is Coming by Vladimir Putin and the enemies of the free world must be stopped. Uh, It's good to have you, as always. Thanks for having me. This CNN.com op-ed, it's really fascinating. You write about uh, there was an old joke apparently growing up in the Soviet Union. It's uh, there is no news in the truth and no truth in the news. That's the
11: name of the two, two big, biggest
1: newspapers in the
11: Soviet right. Union, yes, of yes. course.
1: Uh, I mean, it's pretty chilling to hear somebody who experienced the Soviet Union for himself to see echoes of it now today, but imagine, in America.
11: imagine what I think by by listening <laughs> <laughs> all this nonsense, because it just reminds me of old days. But actually, it's probably even worse because we knew that whatever was was, was published on the front news uh, 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 page of a probably newspaper, um, we, we we should not we we, we could disregard it. So. Mm. Uh, and it was difficult actually to find alternative sources of information. I never thought that, you know, in, in, in the free world, in, in, in America, just, you know, when you have so many options just, you know, to go from one channel to another, people could, uh, uh, could be uh, overwhelmed by, by this ocean of lies. And, uh, And also, yes, it it resembles what Putin has been doing over these years Mm. uh, by simply, no lying and uh, paying no consequences for that.
1: And I've always been fascinated in a place like the Soviet Union or other countries I've traveled to when uh, officials were lying and saying uh, an alternate version of, of the reality. They knew I mean, the Soviet Union, they knew the system was corrupt. They knew I mean, they knew what they were saying was not accurate, didn't they? Yes. Or d- or did- but they,
11: they, try, they try to defend the ideology. It's, what's happening in America is, is different because it's not a classical political spin. It's not like cherry picking uh, right. your favorite story or favorite data. It's just lying. Right. And there are That's so many so, ways to yes. lie, and there's only one truth. Yes. And, and they know that you know, they, they can uh, get people exhausted, to exhaust critical thinking. That's to, part of the to strategy. Exactly. To annihilate the very the, a concept of truth. Mm. Everybody's lying. So, and, uh, and I always call Putin a merchant of doubt. Mm-hmm. But now seeing what's happening in America... It's when there's just uh, Republicans manage to turn the whole political process in this alternative reality. It's like a post-truth world. Uh, And in the truth war, no one uh, agrees on on, on facts.
1: But also the idea of wearing wearing you down, wearing you out, it's sort of that the people who are lying have more energy than you do to sus- than one but, does to but, sustain but I, it but, I, it's have to say, but it. I
11: have to say that the mainstream media actually helped trump from the very beginning of his campaign mm. because Trump has been always making up, making up things and uh, repeating false claims even after they have been disproven. Mm. Uh, but nobody knew how to deal with that and uh, every, every lie that Trump produced uh, has been taken seriously. And it's, it's quite exhausting and it's, it's a waste of time. And if Trump today says, oh, the sky is green, so I'm afraid that Twitter and cable news will be full for the next three days of refutation of that. But he will be already departing for a news station, pro- pro- producing new lies. And that's quite it's very effective because people just they, they, they lose sense of reality because they hear all these lies. And, and you know, it's it, instead of trying to refute these lies, you have to stick to the facts. Keep repeating the facts and because in the post in the post uh, truth world you know it's it's it, it, the 2 plus 2 is not 4 but they say okay 2 plus 2 equals Ukraine
1: well i also i want to read something you wrote about Fox News in your article you said if you watched the impeachment hearings only on Fox News you would have thought things were going great for the president any phrase that might sound like it exonerated him there weren't that uh, and there weren't many or and there weren't many was repeated over and over like a mantra the copious and damning evidence provided may as well not have existed um it, it is you know, there is so much information now, and I, th- I do feel like it's more important than ever before to know where your information is coming from. To know, you know, is this uh, is it a reputable organization? What is their perspective? What is their if they have a bias? What is their bias? Yeah, well,
11: but it's for those who say, "Oh, CNN is on one side, Fox on another side," there's a simple test. Every, and I have to emphasize, every official who testified under oath provided this damning evidence against Trump mm. and every of Trump defenders uh, refused to testify on their oaths mm. I mean for me that's that's an ultimate test so that shows that there's no story they're willing to to tell on their oaths and that's what they learned from Clinton's impeachment I mean avoid testifying under oaths at any cost mm. because th- that could put you in trouble and and uh, unfortunately there's the, there's the whole party now uh, GOP that is now is, is willing to live in this alternative reality and uh, I mean listening to the, even a mild version of this nonsense from from your previous guest Rick Santorum so I'm afraid that in the Senate we will not see the trial, but we will uh, trial of president, you know, and uh, but Republicans trying to to talk about anything else. So basically mm. shifting, shifting the whole process to Biden, Burisma right. or any. I mean, attacking witnesses instead of trying to 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 deal with the facts.
1: Yeah, which we saw uh, already. Uh, Garry Kasparov, thank you very much. Thank Good you. to have you on. Uh, that's on CNN.com. the op ed. Joe, Joe Biden on the attack in Iowa. I'll talk with David Axelrod about the fiery frontrunner that we saw today after he took on an audience member who accused him of, quote, selling access to the president. Throughout the campaign for the Democratic nomination, people questioned Joe Biden's age and stamina, subtly or not. The president has called him sleepy and slow. During the Senate Democratic debate in September, Julian Castro cut Biden off and asked if he'd forgotten what he had just said minutes earlier. Castro later denied the charge of ageism. Today at an event in Iowa, Biden faced an audience member who prodded him about his son Hunter's business in Ukraine, and this is how he defended himself.
10: We all know Trump uh, has been messing around in the Ukraine over there, holding their foreign aid for, for them to come up, saying they're going to investigate you. We know all about that crap. And he's, he's uh, no backbone, we know that for that. But you, on the other hand, sent your son over there to get a job and work for a gas company that he had no experience with gas or nothing in order to get access for the, for the president. So you're, you're selling access to the president just like he was. So You're a damn liar, man. That's not true. And no one has ever said that? No one has said yeah, that? I see it on the TV. No. You see it on the TV. No, I know you do. And by the way, that's why I'm not sedentary. I don't like get up and... and, and no, let, 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 let him go. Let him go. Look, the reason I'm running is because I've been around a long time and I know more than most people know. And I can get things done. That's why I'm running and you want to check my shape line, let's do push-ups together, man. Let's do, let's run, let's do whatever you want to do. Let's take a one, piece Number two, number two. No one has said my son has done anything wrong and I did not on any occasion, and no one has ever said it. Not I didn't one. I say you were doing anything wrong. You said I set up, I set up my son to work in an oil company. is not that what you said? Get your word straight, Jack. What? What I hear on that on MSNBC. You don't time. hear that on MSNBC? No, did. You did not hear that no, at all, but you heard. No, look, you okay, I'm not going to get in an argument with you, man. No, well, I don't want to. We, well, yeah, you do, <laughs> but uh, uh, look, 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 here's the deal. Here's the deal. It, it, looks, it looks like you, you don't have any more backbone than Trump does. talk. Let him talk. Any other questions?
1: David Axelrod, CNN senior political commentator, former senior advisor to the Obama administration. I'm wondering what you made of that exchange. I mean, obviously, this kind of thing often, you know, happens in a town hall meeting. Is that the right way for Biden to handle it?
4: I think the technical term, uh, Anderson, was that he was really pissed, and uh, he showed it. And part of, uh, and, and part of it is that he's very reactive to questions about his children and about his son. Uh, that said, and and so you know, I think people will excuse him that much. That said, uh, it turned into a bit of a rant and he was overtorked. And so, no, that's not the way he should handle it. And and I would suggest that he could have spared himself a lot of trouble at the beginning of this whole uh, saga if he had simply said what Hunter Biden has said, which was it was a mistake uh, uh, to uh, to go on that board. Uh, Vice president should just say that. And uh, he's laid out all kinds of provisions he would put in place in the White House that would keep such a thing from happening in his administration. Uh, He should just say that and move on. But he's going to get a lot more of these provocations the longer he goes in this race. And if he deals with them in this way, he's going to create other problems for himself that go to whether he has the discipline uh, at this stage in his life to do to do the job,
1: I guess some supporters would would, you know, maybe like seeing a sort of a passionate and fiery Biden, particularly, you know, since part of the the calculus by which any Democratic candidate is going to be judged is whether they can go toe to toe or, you know, uh, when faced on a stage with President Trump.
4: Yeah, right. And I think that. To a degree, that fire was there, and I think people might respond positively to that if he had uh, if he had approached it uh, in a different way. If he had said, "That's not true," uh, even calling him a damn liar, I think that was over the line. But it showed some fire. But then to get into the pushups and right. how much he knows and was uh, just seemed a little bit off the rail.
1: Uh, I want to ask you about President Obama's former special assistant aide Reggie Love, someone you know, along with two other former Obama official- officials. Yeah. Uh, Austin Goolsby and Linda Douglas, they've just endorsed Pete Buttigieg. I'm wondering what it says to you that they are not putting their support behind Biden. Or does it I mean, does it doesn't surprise you. Does it not? What is it, does well- it mean? anything?
4: Look, in fairness, uh, there are a lot of people who work for Barack Obama who are supporting Joe Biden now. I think the lion's share of endorsements from people who worked in the administration probably have gone to the vice president. And there's a real sense of loyalty uh, to him. That said, there are people in other campaigns as well. Uh, Buttigieg just picked up uh, some good endorsements. Austin Goolsbee, uh, who was a uh, chairman of the Council of Economic Advisers under Uh, Obama endorsed him, Linda Douglas, who uh, worked on the Affordable Care Act. Uh, in the administration, endorsed him. So, and Reggie, of course, was quite close to the president. So these were good endorsements uh, for Buttigieg. It's a good sign for him. And I think what's happened is you have people who are loyal to the vice president who, who see him as a legatee of the uh, administration, but they see uh, others who see in Buttigieg uh, some of the qualities that they saw in a Barack Obama uh, uh, as he came up as a candidate. And they're drawn to that energy and that youth and that idealism. Is there anyone to know how much these kind of, you
1: know, endorsements really register? John Kerry uh, said he's going to endorse Biden tomorrow.
4: Yeah, I actually think the Kerry endorsement is useful to Biden because Kerry ran in Iowa. He was the senator from Massachusetts. And if he becomes an active surrogate for Biden, uh, he's a popular figure within the Democratic Party and particularly in those early primary states. uh, That would be helpful for Biden. Uh, You know, I remember back in 2004 when Kerry Uh, was in uh, some trouble in Iowa when he was running for the nomination. Ted Kennedy came and campaigned vigorously for them and made a difference there. So there are figures who are big enough to make a real difference if they put their shoulder to the wheel.
1: Yeah. David Axelrod, thanks very much. I'm going to talk uh, just in a moment to one of the four legal scholars who testified at Wednesday's Judiciary Committee hearing. Following that, CNN's Town Hall with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi live from Washington. Jake Tapper is going to moderate it as voters ask questions about the reasons and road ahead for impeachment. We're moments away from CNN's town hall with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who will take questions about impeachment from a cross-section of voters. Earlier today, House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy upbraided her for, he says, not listening closely enough to Wednesday's judiciary hearing. And then he proceeded to quote the one legal scholar favorable to his line of defense uh, and not quote the other three. Take, listen.
5: She paused and she actually listened to the hearing yesterday. On what a Democrat who did not vote for the president who has studied the Constitution, who most at any time has been a witness for Democrats or Republicans, based upon his own ability as a scholar, that this is the weakest, the thinnest impeachment in the history of America. That there is no bribery, no extortion, no obstruction of justice, and no abuse of power.
1: Well, he was referring there to uh, one of the witnesses, uh, Professor Jonathan Turley, had to say. Joining me now, one of the three other legal scholars who testified and went unmentioned by the minority leader, Harvard Law School Professor Noah Feldman, and also joining us, former federal prosecutor Robert Ray, who investigated the Whitewater scandal during the Clinton administration. Professor Feldman, you heard uh, uh, Minority Leader McCarthy there saying this, uh, quoting Turley, saying this is the weakest, thinnest impeachment in the history of America. Is it?
0: No. And, you know, you have to begin with the fact that there's the memorandum of the call, which provides you with a tremendous amount of evidence in just a couple of pages. So thickness is not the measure. It's content that's the measure. And what's in the record is substantial evidence to support the idea of a classic high crime and misdemeanor of the abuse of the power of the presidency to serve the personal desires and preferences of the president to corrupt the election and to subordinate the national security of the United States to his own interests.
1: And, and, I mean, high crime and misdemeanor, what exactly is the high crime?
0: The high crime is the classic high crime, which is abuse of the office of the presidency for personal gain. And that's what the framers thought of as sort of high crime number one, because the reality is that you can use the office of the presidency for good, and that's fine. But if you use the office of the presidency to advance your own personal interests, that's essentially the essence of corruption. That's the nat- what the nature of corruption is. And that's absolutely what they consider to be a pure high crime.
1: Robert, do you agree that uh, the president would have benefited personally uh, for, uh, f- with an investigation of, or at least even the announcement of an investigation of Joe Biden heading into this election?
5: Well, Anderson, let me start first with uh, high crime number one is treason and high crime number two is bribery. And the point is, is that an impeachable offense has to be a crime. You can talk about there are a special category of crimes that must also constitute an abuse of the president's office, but it still has to start with a crime. and, And that's the deficiency here. The latest narrative seems to be from the House Democrats that the president represents a clear and present danger to the country, which I think, you know, the president's reaction apparently to that was, well, so what are they accusing me of treason now? And it sort of harkens back to where we started more than two months ago with Bill Weld, who made, you know, essentially the outrageous claim that this call constituted treason. But, you know, fairly, that's overstated. Is it right
1: for a president to benefit personally and to request a personal benefit uh, and to use his office to get a personal benefit.
5: Well, I, I heard um, P- Professor Feldman also say during the hearing that his view that that this constituted as well a campaign okay. finance violation. The right. problem but, with but that you, is that but you haven't
1: answered my question. Well, which is, the, the is answer is, it is no, benefit. it's
5: not. It doesn't pass the personal benefit test because something as nebulous as the collateral effect on a campaign of a request to a foreign government to open up uh, an investigation, uh, at least in the eyes of the Justice Department, apparently the criminal division and the um, the public integrity section is that that's not sufficient to constitute a campaign finance violation. So the answer to your question is no, it doesn't pass the personal benefit okay. test. Professor Feldman, what about that?
0: Yeah, that's preposterous. So first of all, the question is not whether a statute has been violated, and it's definitely not whether the Department of Justice that works for the president thinks that a statute has been violated. The question is, has the Constitution been violated? And in England, high crimes and misdemeanors were not always statutory crimes. And in the United States, in the history of impeachment here, high crimes and misdemeanors have often not been statutory crimes. So, first of all, it's a complete red herring to say we should care at all about what the statute says. Second I don't, of all, well, I don't it's agree with that. That, that it's also true... Finish your thoughts so it's, second of all, it's uh, thank you. second of all, it's also the case that when it comes to the conferral of a benefit, we don 't have to look to campaign finance law. We can just use the common sense of Congress. Congress is entitled to determine whether there was a personal benefit here that aided the president, and if there was, then Congress can safely say that there was an abuse of power that rises to the mm-hmm. level of a high crime and misdemeanor that 's the bottom line it 's up to Congress to determine the meaning of the personal benefit. Robert?
5: Well, I can't disagree with that. I mean, it is obviously ultimately up to Congress to make that determination. But I, you know, I would suggest to you that that determination is now going to be made equally on a partisan basis in the House, which will have no support from Republicans. And then it will move over to the Senate for trial, where it will have um, support of all uh, Republican senators which will result in an acquittal. I'm not sure what really ultimately will have been accomplished from that. And then finally, I I disagree. You know, look, the framers well understood the common law definition of bribery. That has now been supplanted in the modern era by the federal bribery statute. And my position is, I you know, I suppose reasonable people can disagree about this. I just don't think that a bribery offense has been shown. And short of that, uh, as much as you want to talk about abuse of power, I think as Professor Turley correctly pointed out abuse of power untethered from um, uh, a, a high crime and misdemeanor which would be either treason bribery or some other high crime and misdemeanor is not sufficient to form a legitimate basis to mm. remove a president from office
1: Professor Philman, I'm wondering what you made of, of, of Professor Turley's argument that, that this is a, you know a, that this is a rush that there's not enough evidence uh, at this stage.
0: It seems very strange to me. So, first of all, you have the call, and that's a tremendous amount of evidence. Furthermore, any lack of evidence that exists now is just a result of the fact that the president has ordered all of his subordinates, the whole executive branch, to stonewall and not to participate in the election. So it seems strange to say that since the president is blocking this, more evidence is therefore needed. Mm-hmm. I mean, frankly, the president's systematic refusal to engage with Congress itself threatens the basic constitutional structure of the government. Mm-hmm. Because if you can impeach the president and you can indict him, Then he's above the law.
1: Mm. Uh, We're going to have to end it there with this town hall. Uh, Professor Noah Feldman, I really appreciate it. Robert Ray, always. Thank you very much. The CNN town hall with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, moderated by Jake Tapper. starts right now.